Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. You may already know that SiriusXM brings you the deepest variety of commercial-free music for every genre and every mood. 
where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source, where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix's A Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car on your phone, online and at home, and get your first three months for just a dollar. And if you're a Fish fan, which you probably are, you can get tour updates and shows being played, which are a good complement to our quick hits. Visit SiriusXM.com slash HFPod to see offer details and to subscribe and start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. Hey everybody, the Helping Friendly Podcast, episode 160. Why do, I don't know why I keep saying the number. Matt, Jonathan, what's up guys? Hey, howdy howdy. If anyone listening cares about the number, can you just tell us? Um, I care about the number. <laughs> not you, dude. <laughs> no, but I care. <laughs> okay. All right. That's one for caring. Um, Matt is, is fresh off a trip to Colorado from seeing the Fish Band. I'm back. He's back. I made it. Jonathan. Jonathan is still in Virginia. Yay. <laughs> and I'm back too, but not from Dick's. All right. Um, I was actually with Brad this weekend, and um, unfortunately, he didn't make it off the houseboat from Lake Powell. And uh, he's going to be living living out the rest of his years um, on a houseboat on Lake Powell. So he uh, sends his regrets. But he's he's looking for a satellite hookup to see if he can maybe join one of the you know future episodes. But I thought you guys would want to know that. I, I'm sorry to hear that he's uh is he on the boat still or is he just like floating with a raft or preserver or something? Um, he, his definition of boat is broad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, all right, so Matt, we we obviously want to get your thoughts on on Dix, of course, but maybe before we do that, is there anything going on in the in the fish world besides the fact that they just played a bunch of concerts? Well, there was that uh, that that killer weekend at Lockin uh, right before Dix, which I, I don't believe we've convened since that happened. Um, which was kind of a you snooze you lose sort of a, sort of thing. I think uh, uh, attendance seemed to be low. A lot of people didn't go. I I wanted to go and couldn't make it despite the fact that it was two hours away. And uh, we all missed out because you got a killer Trey sitting with Krungman. You had a killer uh, Derek sitting with uh, Tab and Susan sitting with Tab. And then uh, the set that I will be forever kicking myself for missing, uh, the Tedeschi Trucks Band with Trey playing one of my all-time favorite albums, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs, which if you have not heard or seen it, is absolutely mandatory viewing and listening because it was amazing. But that's one of my all-time favorite albums. How can it be yours also? <laughs> I'll fight you that's for so it. weird. <laughs> I've it was, had my copy longer. <laughs> it, it was a hell of a, a hell of a weekend. Um, I, I heard rumors that the attendance was down. Is that like that's in the rumors? But is that is that does that seem to be true, Matt? Everybody that I talked to who was there said that it was extremely low attendance compared to other years. 
Well, that's really too bad. I mean, I should have been there, but had reasons. But as soon as they announced the official, like there would be crossovers with Trey and Tedeschi trucks and whatnot, I knew it was going to be a heater. And the rest of the lineup was really good too. We had, um, you know, uh, the O'Teal, O'Teal and Friends set was really good, really yeah. dreamy. Bobby came out and played a weather report. I think it might be like the first in five years that he's done. I don't hold me to that, but I couldn't find any evidence that he's done it recently. And, uh, you know, uh, Circles, J-Rad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's good music all around. I listened to a lot of it while I was working. So. Yeah, that's it's a good festival, uh, and it's a great site, great setup. I know we've all been there uh, in various incarnations, and definitely would encourage people to go in the future. Um, I think the funny thing about this is that regardless of what the lineup is next year, I think you'll see a lot of people there just because of the reminder from the <clears throat> the the Layla set that this is a festival where those types of things happen. And um, good on you know Pete Shapiro or whoever it was who got those guys together and also convinced them to do the most on the nose thing that they could have possibly done. Um, which is, it's one of those things that like every Halloween people are like, Oh, do Layla with Derek trucks. It's like, well, you know, shit, he made it happen. It's amazing. Damn it. I would give that entirely to Pete Shapiro. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I he pulled it off. Probably. I think he's orchestrating that festival to do what, what most of us jam band fan lovers want festivals to do, which is to really get the bands to mix up and play together and, uh, you know, it, and make new music things, you know, once in a lifetime experiences, Yeah, which other, some other festivals are definitely after, but he's, he's really hitting, he's really doing it. So we'd be remiss if we, if we, if, or I would be at least, if I didn't mention the fact that lock in that O'Teal and friends set, I think was, was Neil Casal's last public performance Jonathan, yep. right? Yeah, that's um, correct. Jonathan and I and others are trying to pay tribute to Neil on other podcasts, which we'll li- link to. But terrible, terrible loss. But we'll, uh, you know, remember remember that and remember the music. Um, guys, what else is going on in in the music world? Vita Blue is about to drop an album and tour. So I know we've talked about it a little bit, but that's that's happening right like real soon. I'm I'm actually going to see them, which is kind of cool. Yeah, week after next, and we'll all be at the 930 Club, right? I hope so. Yeah. I hope I'm there. I want to go. Can I go with you guys? Sure. Cool. All right, that's that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what else, Matt? There's a, there's some news about Trey? Yeah, so he's doing this um, event at the Grammy Museum in LA. Uh, they're going to show uh, Between Me and My Mind, and then they're going to do a little Q&A and a small acoustic performance from Trey, so... That's kind of cool if you're uh, in Southern California, maybe um, trying to make up for the lack of fish shows out your way this year. That could be a cool event to attend. I know if I were out that way, I would certainly be doing it. So check that out as well. Cool. All right. So guys, anything that you all have been listening to recently that you want to tell people about um, from from Osiris? I have one thing I want to just say if anyone else had anything first. The tapes archive. Yes. It's fantastic. 
Uh, if you haven't, I think a lot of you probably checked it out because of the Trey interview that dropped, but the, um, don't sleep on the interviews with, uh, with Billy Joel and George Carlin. Um, the, I thought it was funny in the Billy Joel, uh, interview. So this is 1993 that he's interviewing Billy Joel. And, um, he was asking, uh, Billy about like what he thinks of like the current bands coming up and stuff like that. And he just went on and on about how great he, he thought it was that all these bands were doing this grassroots thing and building um, really, really loyal fan bases and not relying on radio play <laughs> and, you know, MTV and all this stuff. And he's like, you know, there's these these acts are making it about the live show and people are coming out to see them. And I just think it's great that they're doing that. Um, so you never know. I mean, maybe maybe there's not as much of a, of a made up rivalry as uh, as you might think that there is. I will say about that interview, it's uh, is that I think Billy Joel comes off pretty well um, in a way that, you know, I liked, I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but I really liked what I heard from him on that. And that's, um, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think is so, and we did this, uh, people who are tuning into Helping Friendly Podcasts probably heard the, the, the episode that we dropped in here, the Trey interview, but all of them are like these moments in time, you know, they're like snapshots of moments in time. I just think it's really cool and looking forward to hearing the rest. I know there are a bunch of awesome um, guests coming up on those. Matt, you were in Colorado. I was in Colorado for a week. It was magnificent. What was it like out there? Dry and hilly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of, um, you know, uh, plague infested uh canines running around i don't know if those are canines or not but uh no it was great they're rodents they're rodents okay rodents um yeah you know uh it was a good time overall we had a great vacation family vacation whole family went out there got to see lots of friends um we have a ton of friends in denver so it was awesome to see lots of people there uh lots of other fans from uh the internet and hf pod fans and whatnot um, so that was cool. And then, uh, those of us who went out a little early also got the nice bonus of a J rad show at red rocks, uh, on Thursday. So that was pretty awesome too. And, um, going back to the, uh, to Neil Casal and, and his untimely death, um, that whole show basically seemed to be, uh, one huge kind of tribute to Neil, um, a lot of the playing, lot, you know, they played Cats Under the Stars, which he had sung with O'Teal and Friends. They did a uh, killer version of Bird Song, uh, Replace the Lyrics. All I saw, you know, all I know is something like a bird within him sang. Uh, very emotional uh, band. Um, and then Broke Down Palace at the end where they, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house uh, when they when they played that. So in addition to the, you know, listening recommendation for the lock-in stuff, um, check out that J-Rad set. It was really one of the best sets I've seen them play uh, overall. And then we got to see uh, Fish for Three Nights at Dick's, which, I mean, what can you say about that? It's just, it's one of the best experiences out there. So, so Matt, in terms of the, the fish stuff, it seems like there are, um, you know, a lot of people who were saying like, yeah, you know, it was like kind of like summer, good, not great, some highlights. And then a, a couple other, we asked for people's kind of reactions um, on, on Twitter. And one thing that I thought was interesting is from um, our friend Alex, 215 Music, he said the band has matured immensely emotionally and musically with an ever expanding expanding catalog. It's no longer all about the notes and 20 minute jams. Um, hopefully fans pick up on what they're doing and don't have expectations on anything. So it seems like those are kind of like the two opposite reactions. Do you fall on either side of those that um, divide? 
that great divide? I think I think it's all I think that's a pretty good summary. Um I didn't I thought the shows were a lot like the rest of the summer. You know, they were they were good, not great. Um, but the moments when they were great, they were really great. I mean, the, the high points of the jams were great. I think, you know, as far as that last comment, I could, I could definitely understand that. Um, I've reached the point now where like, particularly this year, my show going experience is really impacted by like the whole overall show and the flow and like the kind of top level feeling that I come away with rather than scrutinizing a lot of little details. So when I look at the weekend overall, I'm like, yeah, those were, those were, you know, very good fish shows, you know, um, if I start to get in and scrutinize, like when I was re-listening and stuff, then I start to see some of the cracks in the foundation and like, you know, stuff that was on, on re-listen or when you're not there in the moment was not quite as exciting. Um, and jams that were not quite as interesting as I kind of felt in the moment. Um, but overall, I, I, I think the other thing I've seen from a lot of people who even there, there are some people that are kind of panning these shows, but everybody seems to agree, uh, you know, it was still a great weekend. I mean, Dix is a great place to see the band. Um, you know, people were there from all over, lots of reunions of friends all over the place. The plague thing really did not put a damper on it at all. There was still shakedown, um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way and where there's a wook, there's a way, you know, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have shakedown no matter what. And, um, the, uh, the the parking situation which i was kind of bugging about like it was fine there was plenty of parking on site um you know everybody still met up with their friends everybody still got to their spot in the stadium and it was all easy and friendly and fun and you know like dicks always is so um i think it you know came away for me at least with a, a very very positive experience jonathan did you did you um stream the shows or did you just listen back after I was uh, in isolation for the first couple nights, and then uh, <laughs> I, I, I did watch the third night live and stayed up and watched the whole thing, despite the time zone uh, irregularities. And uh, yeah, I, I went back and listened to the other two, and I think there's, yeah, I don't think there's a Providence 94 in the batch, but there's some really good playing, and uh, there are some, there are some I- exciting jams that we should we should get into it. We should. And I think um, one thing that we'll hear throughout, I think, as we talk through the shows is something that uh, that our, our friend Will um, Rubenstein, who's been who was on HF Pod Plus, actually, he said it's clear that how they subscribe to the Yoda philosophy, pushing ahead, making new art after 35 years, do or do not. There is no try. Um, but it seems like they are they're really focused on like integrating this new material. Right. It's like it doesn't the set list look different from. I mean, most of the set lists look different from even some stuff we saw this summer, but they're just always pushing forward, which is cool. So let's talk about that as we push forward to night one. Yeah. So just keep this in mind. I I didn't realize this until somebody pointed it out to me uh, the last night, and I think it held um, with the exception of 2001, if you count it as a cover, which you probably should, no covers, um, all original material, um, you know although some of it was from Ghost of the Forest uh, and that, that Scandinavian band, Casfeld uh, Voxed, um, and no Gamehenge songs at all. Hmm. 
So the the material oh, wow. I haven't looked at like the album breakdown or um, average. Uh, I forget what Scotty calls it the average average vintage or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think it's all probably pretty modern. I mean, they were very very like new material heavy set lists, but at the same time, um, I, that didn't bother me at all. I f- I felt like the mood was right and they were playing the songs that they wanted to play. Yeah, and sometimes you can't really get that unless you're there. You know what I mean? Yeah. The recording sometimes it doesn't come doesn't come through, um, and and we, we should talk about that because I think some of the some of the first actually the first set of the first night um, to me listening back and I didn't I didn't see any of them because I was out of cell phone range for the whole weekend but um, it sounded like they were just trying to kind of get their sea legs under them in, in set one um, with a couple with a couple jams in there but for the most part sort of just trying to figure it out is that what it felt like there Matt or did it feel like they were already Hitting. Yeah, it, it felt like a warm up set to me, big time. Um, I made that comment at, at set break that night, um, which is unfortunate when you only have six sets, but not surprising when they'd had that much time off. I think probably my only critique of the band for the weekend is that while I think the predictions of Trey being really on because of all the work he put in for the Layla set and, and you know, trying to show off in front of Derek and Mark Spear and all these guys at, at Lock-In, <laughs> it was definitely true. He His playing was phenomenal all weekend. The band seemed like they were not hooked up from the get-go. Um, I wonder if they did any rehearsing at all. Um, although they, they did like a nice long jam and sound check. So that may have been you know mm. the, the extent of what they did. Um, but they, yeah, they diff- seemed like in that first set, like they were trying to get their legs under them. They were trying to just kind of warm up. Um, I thought that that set was the weakest set of the weekend. Um, but then it was followed up in set two with what I thought was the strongest set of the weekend. So um, it mm. didn't take them much to, to get there. Yeah, they, I don't think they practiced train song for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John, Jonathan, what'd you think of set one? Uh, yeah, well, not mind blowing. I think uh, you guys kind of covered that well, settling in, warming up sea legs i will say i really like the wingsuit i know a lot of people don't like that song at all but i do like that song and i thought this was a nice strong version of it but uh, that's um it's not a jam that requires as much locking in so much as uh trey going off so he did that and it was it's pretty rad so um and there's a couple little you know there's 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 a couple things in there that are are entertaining but um yeah the second set uh, I mean, they they get right into it with everything's right and Mercury, and uh, then they yeah, it gets it gets deep. I think Matt should tell us more about it though, rather than listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so set to you know everything's right into Mercury was maybe the high point of the weekend, um, uh, or at least one of the high points of the weekend. That was the first spot where we were all kind of like locked in i mean that was you know 40 minutes straight of mostly improv um which was fantastic i think mercury continues to be that my 2019 mvp um everybody was super stoked when they started it and the jam was great another fishman and um mike led jam mike was out in front kind of leading the band a lot this weekend throwing out a lot of really really good ideas uh particularly in this set i would not be surprised if he comments later that this um was his favorite set of the weekend because he was really out front um for a lot of that kind of stuff
And then um, you had uh, Shade, which I, I don't love, um, you know, especially when you put it in a cooldown spot in, in the middle of the second set, which tends to happen. Um, but then the light after that was uh, was really good, and they did like a proper party time segue. I know they've tried that a couple of times in the past, but this time they actually did play the song, uh, and it was uh, it was it was a nice segue, and, and definitely got the whole place rocking when they went into that. If I could interject, um, I love Shade first of all, and I thought it was nice to play Shade into Light. I think there was a, a deliberate uh, pairing of those two items right there. And I enjoyed listening to that in the car. Um, I wasn't at a show. So, you know, cool down songs or what have you, whatever you want to call them, they definitely have a different effect when you're listening at home versus when you're at the show. So it worked fine for me at home. Um, And yeah, I'll second the the transition into party time was outstanding. I thought that was you could you could hear it coming, but they didn't overly rush it. And uh, it was great. Yeah, I really like Shade. It's grown on me a lot. It's it's becoming more and more meaningful to me every time I hear it. Um, the it's just man, such a good song. But but I'm not gonna t- say that it was the right song for you at the time, Matt. But I do think it's a good song. Um, but Mer- in, everything's right in a Mercury. Forty two minutes. Like yeah, that's yeah. pretty solid. Forty two minutes of music and that the groove in Mercury. I don't know, like the. Um, you know, there's that part where they, after the composed part, where they sort of get into the, a little bit more of an, of a type two jam. And it's, it, it could just get, it was very upbeat and very like cool and happy for, for a long time. But before that, and in everything's right, there was all, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Maybe that's probably the kind of mic driving, um, segments that you were talking about, Matt. Yeah. And Mercury, they, um, I think one of the things that's been cool this year is in, previous years the jams all sort of started the same way um they would sort of you know play around with the theme modulate to major and then go somewhere else and this year they've all felt like they've been very unique in terms of where they go once they start the jam um so i think that's what's one of the things that's making them really exciting um and and yeah i mean you're right and it's just a killer killer segment to to start out that set so so the um the light i think is maybe where people's expectations got the best of them because that that song particularly at dicks you're expecting maybe that closes out the whole set right maybe it's like a 20 minute light and and it's a four song set or five song set or something um and they just they they took it you know seven minutes into party time i think the um the transition was good like you said matt but i wonder if the if that kind of led to people not thinking that this set was as good as it could be. But the, the second half is really good. There's like some really good stuff after the light and the party time. Well, yeah, I mean, the sand really, I mean, like, you, you know, you take shade out of this set and look, I mean, it's just like, ball. no, no, bad move. <laughs> take it out and it's balls to the wall for the entire set. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy set. I mean, I get putting a, putting a cool down in there. And if you like shade, um, that's fine. Uh, you know, it, it would be good for you. But I mean, for me, it's like you take out that like six minutes and it's a damn near perfect set. Um, but the light thing, I don't know. I mean, I caught wind of that later that like people weren't digging it because it wasn't super long or anything. And like, I, I was shocked. I mean, I went back once I heard that comment and kind of looked at the time and I was like, oh, I guess it was a little short, but like, 
I don't care. I mean, the segue and the the energy was there to take them into party time. So do do what needs to be done there. You know, don't yeah. ju- don't just look at lengths or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's got a lot to live up to because there's been at least two incredibly epic versions of Light played at Dicks. But I mean, that doesn't mean that you have to do it there every single time. That's kind of boring and predictable. Yeah, they're not all going to be twenty minutes. It's just that's the Ooh. way it is. Sorry. <laughs> So, so facts. Kids, I told you I'd bring facts. Kids, you should get out your notepads and take notes about expectations because this is what happens. But but that's why that's why there's a three point seven rating on Fish.net. And I, Jonathan, I know you love the the ratings on Fish.net. Uh. Um, but I know it's interesting. But Matt, the back half of this with sand and it was sand with these like amazing, really uh, peaking. It sort of reminded me like the first two peaks or something at the end. You know. Um, and then that, what's the use? The exact opposite. Um, and then a, like a very atypical hood. It was just a kind of a cool three songs. Yeah. Sandwich, as you said, was super, super peaky. Um, that was great. I was, um, I'm getting a little bit persnickety about the placement of what's the use in the past couple of years. Cause I think when it's placed properly, it's one of the most powerful tools that they have in their entire arsenal. Um, but when it either comes from like a dead stop or feels like it's just forced or kind of like a ripcord out of a jam, I get a little bit frustrated, which it felt like that's what kind of they, they did um, out of sand here. However, they made up for it with this is maybe one of the most atypical versions of what's the use ever. Um, we've all gotten since Magnaball accustomed to looking forward to the quiet section and hopefully people are on their best behavior and you can see how quiet the audience is, is going to get. But what happened then was, and I don't know, it was some combination of Mike and Paige played for over two minutes these low end growling synth noises that basically made it sound like the earth was splitting open and you could just hear like this collective like oohs and ahs in the crowd everybody was just like mind blown by this whole thing and you could see trey kind of looking over at page and kind of egging him on to like keep doing it keep doing it um i thought that was awesome seek this out and listen to an audience recording of of this what's the use because you'll really get the low end and the uh the the vibe and the in the crowd when they did that it was it was insane
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, totally. And then the hood to follow was like sort of a different kind of hood as well. Um, not a, not not your typical like building to a blissful peak hood, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they've done these kind of um, non-linear versions of hood uh, a bunch in the last couple of years, um, which I really dig. I like when they kind of go off the rails a little bit. This was different because usually they kind of awkwardly struggle to bring it back into the hood section because if they get towards a big you know bliss peak it's hard to like dial that back to the the hood groove and kind of build up again what they did this time instead was they build it up and fishman was playing this like driving rock almost like punk rock beat and instead of like shifting they just went with it and it was like the most energetic hood climax in maybe 20 years i mean it was insane and people were just going ape shit all over the stadium um at this just, you know, super like punk rock version of Hood, uh, which was awesome and just brought the set to like a heroic closing. Um, so definitely another high point of the weekend for me uh, in that Harry Hood.
Yeah, there's um, there are a couple others that uh, you should check out. They're similar. If people want to hear similar hoods, there's eight five thirteen from from Hollywood, seven one fourteen from Great Woods, and I think maybe one. Yeah, and and uh, Randall's Island fourteen as well. All similar like that, but it doesn't happen that often. So cool that you got that and to take it back to the to the peak. And then Freebird Solo, say it to me, Santos. It all works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get into night two, quick message from Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. And you might not know how not to pay. That's part of the problem. Anyway, Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead because it's all online, and they pass those savings directly to you. As I mentioned in the previous ad, um, when I recently switched phones, I was really nervous about it because I thought I was going to have to do a lot of stuff, including math, which Jonathan and I don't like. And I didn't... (laughs) I didn't have to do math or anything. Um, I just got a SIM card and I put it in my phone. I turned my phone back on and it was pretty awesome. And the service has been great. So Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And with Mint Mobile, you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. So you can choose between plans with three, eight or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. I haven't had that problem. I've actually overused the thing, so I need to change that. But it's really easy to up, upgrade to if you need more. So you can use your own phone. You keep your phone number, all your contacts. Nothing happens. Um, you just get better service for less money. So if you want to get a new wireless plan starting at 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash HFpod. Um, all right. Night two. Dicks. They played again. Nobody died again, Matt. As far as I know, um, I don't know how long the plague takes to set in. So I don't know if this is the kind of thing that we should be like monitoring people for a couple of weeks. Um, how are you feeling? <laughs> uh, I don't feel like my blood is congealing. So I think that that's probably good. Um, I think that's generally a good thing. It's probably I mean, a good thing. Um, yeah. Somebody should check on that front row dog. I'm a little concerned about that thing getting eaten by fleas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I. If you take your dog to shows, you gotta assume you gotta assume the risks. You know what I mean? I leave my dogs at home for concerts. I, d- I do have to say, I was surprised that people were not selling Fishman Donut flea collars on Shakedown. Ah, that was a huge I, missed opportunity for somebody. You know, Fish waited so long to announce the parking changes and all of that that I, I think that it's really Fish's fault that nobody had the lead time to develop those fascinating and fabulous products. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there were some good stickers and stuff going around uh, my wife got a sticker that said prairie dog lives matter oh nice. wow there you go yeah see we're just forgetting about the prairie dogs and only paying attention to the humans as usual all right so the set one of night two is really all about the ghost is there are there other things that you would talk about before the ghost matt um i think I thought, you know, the first set on Friday was the weakest set of the weekend. Um, This one would give it a run for its money if it weren't for the ghost and tube section. Um, Otherwise, it was a relatively boring set. Um, Moment Dance started, it was like really, really slow. They they had trouble getting into it. Um, 
you know, uh, access me was really cool to hear. I enjoyed that. I love that song. Um, so that was nice. Funky bitch had some of that super hot tray playing. Um, you know, he's, uh, He's primed to play the blues right now uh, after playing with Derek, but it's all about the ghost and the tube. Uh, they were, they were really fantastic. I, I want to second that. That access me is. I mean, that's the bust out you didn't know you wanted, right? I mean, I'm not sure if it's technically a bust out, but uh, you know, it's not something that you were looking for. But it's a, it's a great song, and I thought they did a nice job. And Ghost Tube is killer. That Ghost Jam is out of this world, um, and yet. Like, it's it's not quite micro, but it's definitely not macro. You know, it's just another <laughs> one of these super high quality first set ghosts, which which we love. I I love, and I'm just assuming everybody else does because if they don't, there's something wrong with them. Um, and then we get if if that jamming wasn't enough, we got a nice like kind of a mid length tube, not too short, but not overextended. Um, and it's it's delightful and i think the placement of mountains in the mist right there is pretty good yeah i, like I that agree placement. i think it was really good the i actually really liked this like the, the set you know from ghost onward i thought it was really solid the the ghost jam itself i think you can hear trey seems to be kind of powering the jam early on it's like usually a ghost jam especially something that's like 15 20 minutes you hear a little bit of like build up but it seemed like they were just like really, really powering the jam with like four to five minutes in. It was much earlier than I usually ex- ex- than I usually hear it. I don't know if that makes sense, Matt, but that, that was sort of what I was thinking. Yeah, it um, was, I thought it was a much different ghost than we've heard recently. They all tend to be very kind of bliss jam peaky in the past couple of years. Um, this had some different stuff that, that I haven't really heard from them. Um, you start out with uh, little drummer boy teases uh, from Trey. And Mike comes very, very close to teasing the wheel. Um, if you listen to him, that's one of those places where I felt like he was kind of coming out in front and trying to lead the band. And then there was this this thing that happened throughout the week, and I heard it a bunch of times, and I think it was most prominent in the Ghost Jam. We, we talk a lot about like the modulation to major keys, which mm-hmm. tend to lead to the Bliss Jams. And I know some people have kind of like they kind of groan when they hear that modulation now because they feel like they're just sort of falling back on the on you know the same tricks or something like that. Yeah. What I heard a handful of times was either Trey or Paige trying to take the jam into major and Mike holding back and throwing in some minor thirds and stuff like mm. that to try to keep the tonal center um, minor. And this was there was almost like a struggle back and forth between the band, and I couldn't identify like it sounded like there was like a I don't know if there was like a mode that they were jamming around like an eastern mode like Phrygian or something like that that um that they wound up in or if it was just a tug of war between major and minor but for a couple of minutes um it's it's kind of this like back and forth and it sounds very odd uh because you know it's like Trey plays a major thing and then Mike plays a minor thing and it, it kind of adds a lot of tension to the jam before it kind of breaks loose and they start um they start building up after that
had some um, amazing synth sounds from Paige all weekend. I mentioned the thing in What's the Use, but this ghost was another section where he, he had some really cool synth tones. Um, guessing maybe he's been you know practicing some new sounds for Vita Blue Tour, uh, since he tends to go a little bit more outside of the box with, with that band. Um, but in any event, really, really cool uh, tones um, and very non-typical ghosts uh, for what we've had. Um, almost closer to like what you'd hear in Mercury or Piper uh, yeah. recently, just like groove-oriented jamming. Um, one of the high points of the weekend for sure. I thought I thought I was hearing a lot of new sounds from Paige all summer, but maybe these were even different um, than than the summer. It just seems like he's much more active or louder or or something. But maybe, maybe it's a combo. Yeah, he new also, new it, sounds. He had um, he had a new synth. Uh, I think it was like a new Moog. Um, that he has been touring with this summer. So it could just be as simple as he's had time to explore it and he's discovered some yeah. new patches and stuff that he wasn't playing around with before. Yeah. And the, the tube after the ghost gets to like the blissful peak that the ghost didn't, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if, that, if the tug of war between the minor and major key tray one out in the tube, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is pretty cool. But the, <laughs> I really like the mountains in the mist and the drift while you're sleeping. I mean, I, you know, the ghost of the forest songs, they can play them all the time. You know, it's fine with me, but Matt, what's, what's the vibe like with all the ghost of the forest songs, uh, at Dick's? I think, um, people are really, uh, coming to embrace them i think the band is a lot tighter at playing them particularly drift while you're sleeping because they've played that the most um so it's a great set closer um where i think people really really got into it um if we peek ahead to night three uh sightless escape which was a debut and then um i felt like uh life beyond a dream because of the version at lock-in that that amazing version that had Susan Tedeschi on um, lead vocals. I heard a lot of people commenting on how they kind of get that song now. Uh, And that was one that I would have, especially in the encore, I would have expected people to kind of not pay attention as much, but people were really locked in when they played that. Um, So I I think the ghost of the forest material is, is really catching on at this point. That's cool. Um, Just to, yeah, the night, just to go to that, that encore i swear i checked the show notes like twice because the the backing vocals on life beyond the dream were so good i was like wait was salise henderson up there they just like they the band the band kind of nailed it which was just like really cool um or I, and i was like is hartswick up there or salise anyway um all right so the ghost was awesome good good closing to the first set but otherwise you know maybe kind of average and then the, the second set um i thought was like I didn't really get this set mostly because I got, I got confused with the big down with disease in the very <laughs> middle of the set, <laughs> but I think that's just me. Uh, Matt, what, how did this, how did this set unfold for you? Yeah, it, it was good. Um, I, I think overall this Saturday night was my least favorite of the three nights. Um, I, now this is one of those things where you have to think about like intangibles and experience and stuff like that. Cause I've heard several people say that they thought Saturday night was their favorite of the three nights. Um, for me, I think if there's some sort of in outside 
you know, influence on it. Um, I was sober this night. I, I was driving. So, uh, and I was very, very not sober the other nights. Um, so maybe that kind of skewed opinion a little bit. Um, but I found it a little bit more difficult to get into the whole show. Not that I didn't like it, but, um, I didn't hear a lot of the huge moving peaks that I heard on the other nights. Um, so I, I think, you know, this set two was good. Um, what, bothers me about it if if you can say that is it kind of falls off a cliff in the fourth quarter um but you know otherwise there's there's some good stuff particularly the the down with disease um jonathan what do you think when you listened um you know i listened to this set several times and i just it kind of passed me by except for the down with disease to me that the whole set hinges on that slave was good too but like I know I started this set multiple times, and aside from the kind of stumble into the very beginning of Mike's song, I, it didn't. None of it stuck. So I don't know if that's me. I don't know if that. I'm sure some people out there loved it. I know there was some jamming. They didn't finish Week of Pop, um, but uh, to me, the real the thing really just centers on the Down with Seas. Yeah. I think out of the like 16 times that Set Your Soul Free has been played, this was maybe like the least exciting of any of them, which is sort of interesting because it's just turned into, maybe not, I mean, there have been a couple first set versions, but it's usually such a such a big jam vehicle over the past, what, year and a half um, that you've like, that you come to expect it. But this sort of like, seemed like they were searching for something, which maybe they found in the Down with Disease. Um, the jam was really interesting in that disease, I thought. And even though they play disease at every show that I'm at, I still, um, I really like this. And it sounded for a while like Fishman was like playing the drums from Timber or he was like trying to go into it or something. And that like kind of changed the whole jam, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think everybody around me on the floor definitely thought that they were going into Timber for a while. Um, and I mm-hmm. feel like Trey even tried to get them there, and it just didn't happen. Um, there were too many things that happened, key change and, and rhythm and downbeat and stuff that, that had to happen in order for them to get there. And so they just they just never made it. Um, but there was some really cool stuff uh, in that disease, oh, although the, the composed section of disease was not good. I mean, they... 
Trey came in, tried to come in on the solo, like where the bridge goes, and it was a little bit of a mess. But once they got to jamming, um, it was really cool. There was this rhythmic pattern that Trey was doing around six minutes in that reminds me of kind of the helicopter, I would call it, section of the Alpine Valley Ruby Waves, where he was doing those mm. kind of like rhythmic um, muted strings with his uh, with his delay pedal. Um, but he's doing it with like a run of notes here uh, that kind of accelerated things and, and got him going. Um, the uh, There was the, you know, almost getting into, um, into timber and then when they didn't go into timber, it sounded to me like they went back into the week pog jam. Uh, and I was, oh. if I had written the set list, I would have noted it as tw- down with disease back into week pog into, um, into NICU. Um, mm. there was a very, very awkward, uh, segue into NICU and that's where things start to fall off for me a little bit on this set. But I think if you take everything from like the week pog through the down with disease slash week pog reprise, um, it was really good. Like that's that portion of the set was great. It's just the beginning and the end were just kind of you know standard. I liked the the bug, the drop in the bug out of NICU. I thought it was great. It would have worked like really perfectly out of straight out of Down with Disease, but just the, like you, they just wasn't they weren't there. Um, but I, I I always liked that song coming out of a a jam. Um, and then the wedge slave Brian and Robert character zero, and I think that was sort of like a I don't know you know if you. If you like rocking out, Character Zero is a good encore closer. But but maybe people were left with with a little you know wanting a little more. I have no problem with Character Zero. I I've seen it a couple dozen times, and I love it as a show closer. I love it as a set closer. It's rocking. It's fun. It's exciting. I mean, you know, that's fine. The one thing I will say about this show, even though I it was my least favorite, it wasn't a Saturday night special. Um, yeah. You know, you didn't have there you go they they have a tendency to do that sometimes especially at you know obviously various places but even at dicks where they play a lot of great shows a lot of times the saturdays are like not nearly as good as the friday and sunday and i think there was a lot more parody um between the three nights this time so i i have to hand it to them for for that at least yeah and it it does seem a little bit like um similar to what we talked about with the summer tour wrap up where i was asking you guys about the kind of like hitting different um shows like out of the park, you know, compared to what, how they typically do like this one for, to have the first set of the first night of dicks and the second night of the first set be so different. And the second set of the first night, I think was probably the best set just to be able to come out and do that. And then like m- not build up to a third night. Um, I think it's pretty interesting and, and pretty different from what we've become used to over the past several years. Right. And you know, any group we poll is going to have very different, potentially very different opinions. I know my friend Jason thinks that the uh, first set of second night is his favorite of the, of the run. Um, so it's, you know, matters of taste and whatnot, because I don't think that uh, overall any of these sets are particularly like head and shoulders above in quality or song selection or whatever. They're, they're actually fairly consistent through this run, I think. Which to me, that's a mark of quality. I mean, except for the the end of, <laughs> except for set two of third night for me, that is head and shoulders in my opinion. But that's just me. Well, maybe maybe we, maybe we should talk about that show. No, I don't think. I think we should just mm-hmm. stop right here. <laughs> um, all right. So Matt, night three, um, never miss a Sunday show, especially at Dick's. 
You didn't, right? I did not. I was there. Uh, and first time for me ever being in the stands for a Dick's show. I've been on the field for every single Dick's show that I've been to before this. Uh, but we, combination of factors, wound up getting a page side um, seats, uh, section of seats, which was awesome. I was exhausted. I'd been in Colorado for like five days at this point and was very tired. And it was awesome to have a seat when needed at set break and whatnot, and, uh, have a different kind of point of view than we usually do. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then this first set, um, it was, it was one of those sets. Like I, I felt like I enjoyed it a lot while I was there there was maybe a lot of intangentials like, you know, having fun with friends, um, you know, high-fiving and stuff like that. My brother-in-law, uh, shout out to Uncle Dan, uh, repeat guest on the show, uh, surprised my wife and I. We didn't think that he had a ticket and he, he just showed up in the middle of the first set. So there was like some cool things like that that happened. But when I went back to re-listen to it, I I didn't find a whole lot there that grabbed me, um, except for, uh, the, uh, the Wolfman's and the bathtub gin, which once again, like I said earlier, like good stuff, maybe not great with some highlights, but the highlights are really awesome. And this was two fantastic jams in the Wolfman's and the, uh, the bathtub gin. I watched this one from home and have been back to it one time since. And I definitely agree that Wolfman's is where the show really gets going. Uh, Turtle in the Clouds, Stray Dog, which uh, Plague Dog, if you will, Stealing Time. That stuff was fun and fine. Uh, but Wolfman's goes. They really they really get into it, and uh, it's it's outstanding, I thought. Uh, nice, Another nice, deep, but not overlong first set jam. And, and then I actually like the rest of the set. I like the song selection um, of birds with the, you know, the quotes from the birds, which are given now with birds of a feather. Uh, we are come to outlive our brains, which is just fun to say out loud, no matter what the quality of the song is. <laughs> um, <laughs> all, all of it. I actually, I really like that 20 years later, uh, even although Sparkle was like, really, aren't we done? I felt like at that point, the set started to feel like we're just playing more songs. Uh, but then Jin closed it out beautifully. So uh, I, I, I I did enjoy that set. I had a good time watching it. Um, but I, I'm here to talk about the next one. But RJ, what did you think <laughs> of set one? Yeah, the Wolfman's and the Jin were both amazing. I felt the Wolfman's um, jam was like very soulful. I thought a lot of jams from this weekend like had a lot of... Um, like vibes, positive vibes. It felt like a like Tedeschi Trucks sort of positive vibes almost. I wonder if like part of Trey's playing was kind of reflective of that. You know, you know those Tedeschi Trucks jams that are just like you feel, you just feel happy in your soul. Like I felt a lot of those. Yeah, like a lot yeah. of these jams, including Wolfman's, felt like that to me. And, and the gym is really good too. Um, interesting that two big, like first set jams like that appeared in the same first set. You know, um, I feel like that. Doesn't happen that often, but a lot of songs, but two really, really good ones. Um, so set two. So is opening set two of Sunday Night at Dick's with a with a debut, is that like an a awesome ballsy move or is that did that kind of like start us off on the wrong foot? It was um, it was an awesome ballsy move. It could have been a little bit better. Um, 
And the only reason I say that is because uh, they had sound-checked Sightless Escape uh, both Saturday and Sunday. So we kind of knew this was coming. I thought it was really, really well executed. Um, it's one of my favorite songs from the the Ghost of the Forest uh, set. Um the funny thing is that um, I feel like it's going to be a big jam vehicle someday. Uh, the groove is just like perfect for them to kind of launch off of. So when they started playing it, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to like debut this and they're going to take this long and we're going to be really impressed with it. And then it just sort of like very suddenly stopped uh, after like seven minutes or so. Um, so I think we'll see a lot more from that on uh, fall tour and over the new year's run, we'll probably see a, a big version of that after they play it a couple times. Um, the, the, uh, the, I was listening to it. Do you guys hear like, uh, do you remember the old HBO theme? Oh yeah. It's, uh, it, I hear that at the beginning of sightless escape. It's, it always makes me think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Trey teases that at the Ian's Farm 52889 in Mike's song. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um, so this was really good. It was well played. I think it's a, of the Ghost of the Forest songs. It's one of the best suited for Fish to play, with the exception of the fact that it loses some of its punch uh, without having the, the female backup vocals. Um, not quite as strong there. Uh, I think we need, we need ladies for Ghost of the Forest to really, really shine. Uh, as we've seen a couple times now, but um, really good. And I, I look forward to Sightless Escape opening uh, some some second sets in a big way in the future. Agreed. Yeah, so then what happened, Jonathan? Anything? Uh, well, then we all we all turned off our, our internets and Fish was done, right? No, <laughs> they, they played Fuego, which I know some people don't love Fuego, but uh, I'm, I'm cool with Fuego. And they, they stretched this one and... They not only stretched it, but then they they eventually eased into almost a slow build Piper, which which was nice. But you know, it didn't it didn't get as long as you 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 want uh, as they patiently entered the song. Uh, then they they dove into Tweezer. Thank you. 
Got a, I think I have a slightly different take on that. Um, okay. Fuego, <laughs> Fuego is like perfect for dicks, especially on the third night. Just have, have this big stadium rock sing along, hands in the air, you know, lights lighting up the whole crowd. It's just like Fuego is made to be played at dicks. It's like the most appropriate venue that they play other than maybe like a festival scenario where it's just like absolutely perfect. Um, and it, it was, uh, it was really good. Um, although it was, you know, relatively kind of standardish, uh, kind of Fuego, 
the thing about the Piper, there was a nice segue into it, but where I think you, you can hear a slow build, I kind of hear the band struggling to get into the song. It's like they never quite grasped the groove and the build of Piper. And, t- and like they tried for a couple of minutes and they couldn't really connect and they couldn't really connect. And then all of a sudden they're just like, fuck it, let's jam instead. And they just kind of like veer into a jam. Now, the jam is really good. Um, it's, a, it's a very like sp- – I felt like in the second set this third night there was a lot of like really patient, open, space-laden uh, jamming where they weren't driving forward as much but being very patient listening to each other and i think you hear that here um fish is grooving really really hard while the rest of the band just sort of adds nice little flourishes um over that but um well the jam was great the actual song part of the piper i felt was a just like a little bit of a miss um i don't know rj if you if you heard that or if you agree that we got the majestic uh slow build p- piper we've always been waiting for i I agree with both of you guys. Uh, yeah, I, I want to say, I'm not saying they nailed a majestic slow build Piper. <laughs> In fact, I think I started by saying they didn't really get there, but they did go slower than a lot of Pipers have been in the yeah. past few years. Yeah, I didn't um, I didn't hear the missing it part, but I did hear like the slow to get into it part. So I think I think you guys both have good points, but let's talk about Tweezer. Um, <laughs> Tweezer's cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I guess, uh, Matt, at a third night of any run, this is what people are waiting for, right? I mean, at any show. It actually, maybe that's just me. Yeah, it, it actually reminded me a lot of um, Sunday Dicks last year, uh, how they, they played Tweezer, um, but it was a little bit of an awkward entry to it. And then the jam was very, very like rhythmic, um, mm-hmm. more than melodic. Uh, like I, we heard last year, which was like very based on like the cowbell and stuff like that. This was more just kind of following Fishman around, which you, you know, they should because he's playing so great right now. Um, but not like a typical tweezer that it's a certain point kind of picks up and gets funky and driving. It just had this sort of, um, jerky kind of rhythmic quality to it. Um, which gave way to once again, here's ambient space with some of the amazing new synth tones uh for a couple of minutes and then just like a perfect drop into 2001 um so i like this i I like that segment a lot not my favorite tweezer but um a really really fun segment of music so in that in that later part of that jam they started doing some uh, fuego lyrics right and then yeah that's right and then mike popped up the drill and to my ears they basically ended fuego he, when he starts playing yeah. the drill, yeah. that's the ending of Fuego right there. And then 2001, nobody wrote it down, but I yeah. I wrote it down on Twitter somewhere. But um, <laughs> they, you're, they, you're absolutely right. I forgot about that, um, which, yeah, it kind of like there was a, almost like a week apog reprise the night before uh, come out of disease. Right. I felt it was like the same kind of thing. Like it was like not exactly Fuego, but it was like a Fuego reprise. Um, and you're right that the drill popped out at that point, too, which, kind of, yeah, which does so, typically end at. Exactly. So they ended Fuego finally. Instead of leaving it completely un, unfinished, and uh, and then two thousand one, which was a cool pickup after the uh, the spacier jamming uh, from Tweezer there, RJ. Yes, um, the Chalk Dust Torture. I mean, two thousand one is fine. 
It's always fun. It's <laughs> it's always like the same, and it's cool, and it's especially cool if you're there. And listening to it is fun, I think. But the Chalk Dust, late second set Chalk Dust, that I thought was like, I did not, when I listened to it, I did not expect it to go where it went, which I thought was kind of cool. And, and, you know, this is probably just me reading into things. Um, but it just seemed like they were like, oh, shit, we're nearing the end here. Let's, like, keep jamming. Um, you know, because to, to play Shock Dust at that point, I kind of figured that it would go, you know, into a bunch of other songs. But it was pretty stretched out. I think they were, like, I think they were holding on to, to the rest of the night. That was my interpretation hearing that jam, which I thought was really good. And then into Waste um, as a cool down. Yeah, the jock dust. Uh, we, I, I've, the feeling around me was everybody kind of looked at each other and said, "All right, we're going to get a jammed out chalk dust here, potentially to stretched out to end the set." It was kind of what I was thinking at that at that point. Um, as far as the jammed out chalk dust go, it's kind of unique. Um, so go back to what I was saying before about like you know, kind of laying back, um, lots of space in the playing, um, nobody being too aggressive, nobody driving things forward, just sort of patiently building something, um, which you don't always hear in the chalk dust where they, they are usually trying to push it and kind of rage a little bit more. Um, and then there was this like cowbell section from Fishman that almost sounded like all things reconsidered, uh, the way, the way that he was hammering away, on the uh, on the cowbell before it kind of gave way to waste the sort of waste cavern first tube you know let's let's finish the set kind of thing and so in terms of the encore we we talked about the light beyond the dream um, Matt were you enjoying that more than everyone else were people like what what was it like on the you know encore last night was it like grade three shows close it out you guys are the best or was it like shit man another goes to the forest song um i so so let me so let me walk through the encore so first off horse into silent in the morning um they played this i i want to off the top of my head i want to say they played this in the encore in the last night of dicks last year and i think they've done this at a bunch of tour closers and i kind of was like why the hell are they playing this in the encore of the last show they're going to play for months and I, maybe you guys are going to call me an, an idiot for this. I suddenly realized why they play the horse on the last <laughs> night of tours. The lyrics are perfect. Have you guys thought oh. about that before? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been noticed, I think, by I mean, a few people. So this, this, I, I was like, I, I kind of like had my mind blown by that. I was like, whoa, that's <laughs> time I sling the baskets of the server overburdened horse, sink my feet into the ground and set a different course. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so that was my... Uh, I went from like, uh, I, I like this song, but why are they playing it right now? To like, holy shit, this is the most perfect song to play right now. <laughs> um, and then once they did Horse Silent in the Morning, everybody, you feel the Twee Prize looming. And I was looking at the my watch. It was about 11.45 at this point, And I turned to my friends and I said, you know what? I bet they're going to play Yem right now. Um, and mm-hmm. they didn't, they went with the life beyond the dream and Twister yeah. prize, which was fine. Um, but back to your question before, you know, a life beyond the dream, there was a little bit of like a high five moment at the beginning. And I think that's because of the Susan Tedeschi version that had, that had come at, at lock and that people listened to that and were like super into it and kind of pumped for it again. Um, and then Tweezer Reprise, one of the stronger versions I've heard of Tweezer Reprise, uh, I usually measure it on how 
earth shattering is the mic bass note and it mm. was quite earth shattering on this night so <laughs> um they they it was locked in and uh, and they did it right i, I want to interject that trey played horse you know we've had a lot of uh page playing horse uh in the past few years but trey played it and well so you know for for all of the flub knockers out there um they'll probably find one in this that i missed but uh i think he played it well and it was it was quite nice to hear i think we've i think we've coined a new term yeah flub knockers (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna take hashtag hashtag I can't even say it. It's it's so weird. This is Hashtag so good. Flub knockers. First micro jam. Now this. Thank you, Jonathan. So Matt, what one takeaway from this from this run? You know, nothing. Nothing. Good. Good. Not great. I think mm-hmm. um, there was consistent playing. There was strong playing. Um, I didn't get that feeling throughout the weekend like you get when they're like they're playing at a super elevated level. Um, but there was some moments when I felt like they were doing some really cool stuff. Um, it kind of like I, I've said before, like I feel like New Year's runs a lot of time almost seem feel to me like greatest hits of the year. Like they try to like, you know, re-encapsulate everything they did that year. This kind of felt like that with the summer. Like they did a lot of new material. The jamming was sort of a, of a consistent style. Um, some of the stuff was a little flubby. Some of the jams were a little bit predictable, but overall you can't really ding them for bad playing or anything like that. So, um, and then, you know, the, just the experiential thing of it's Dick's tons of friends there. It's a great environment. I mean, honestly, if you've never been to Dick's before, like I shouldn't be saying this because tickets are tough enough as it is, but you owe (laughs) it to yourself to go to Dick's. It is a really great experience you, yeah. you'd never think that you could have such a great concert going experience in a soccer stadium um but it, it's it's really fantastic and shout out to all of the people that work at dicks um you know we've we see this at madison square garden too but the people there are just fantastic they love having us there um from you know the cops and the security guards and the the food vendors and everybody working there is just so awesome to deal with. Uh, and so we really, uh, we owe all of them a lot for, um, you know, creating such a great experience for all of us. To me, like back to sort of what I quoted from someone on Twitter at the beginning, I think you're right, Matt, about it being similar to summer, but I don't, I don't like agree with the, um, recapping, I guess it just, it's, it all felt very original, you know, with the good, with the good and the bad, um, debuts, new songs, you know, the, the proportion of new material that they're playing is just incredible. Um, this far into their career. And I feel like these three shows were a good, uh, reminder of that along with some good, really good gems. Um, Jonathan, what about you? Uh, you know, I think I fall somewhere in between you guys. I think they were good. Uh, I don't have any reason to say they were not great. I, I think they were good fish shows. Three good fish shows is uh, it's a treat. And um, yeah, I think they built on the summer. They didn't necessarily build super far beyond the summer, but there were new jams. There were new flubs. There was, uh, you know, good times <laughs> were had and there will be more in the fall. So we appreciate you guys joining. I just want to say you heard this at the very top of the episode, but um, we are sponsored by Sirius XM. You know you can listen to Fish Radio on Sirius XM along with Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, 
lots and lots of other stations and you don't need a car um you can subscribe to listen outside the car on your phone online at home and get your first three months for a dollar if you go to seriousxm.com slash hf pod um all right guys so we are going to be back again in a couple weeks don't you think absolutely makes sense (laughs) we have we have some stuff in the works um that has yet to reveal itself to us but I think, I think there are things that we will figure out. But if, you, if you're if you still listening to this point and you have ideas for things you want us to cover on this show, please uh, let us know. And, you know, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify. Do you guys know that? I do. So you can do that. Anyone who's listening, you just even if you if you just go and follow um, the podcast on Spotify, that'd be cool. Um, because it helps us. So, I mean, I'm following it, so I think you guys should as well. Um, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, guys, I hope we can find Brad, you know, or he comes back eventually. Um, but if not, you know, we'll, we'll see him, we'll see him out there. We're going to have to go do a visit to him out on the lake. We could, we could task a satellite maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what they do in the CIA movies. Yeah. Can can we do that? I just picture Brad like floating in a lake with like duck swimmies and like a big big drink with a straw coming out of it and just <laughs> loving life, man. So yeah, but he's get, you get that sunburn on top of your hand as you yeah. hold your drink out of the water, <laughs> I, you, just you, right you, from your index finger to your thumb. Say that from experience. He lives I, in I, Arizona. He's used to it. He is. He is. <laughs> All right, um, we'll be back. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Keep on rocking. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! 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 The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.